It is great to be with you on this day, and I just trust that you have already been embraced by the presence of the Holy Spirit as we've worshiped in song, as we've worshiped in the lighting of the Advent candle, as we've worshiped in the reading of scripture, as we've worshiped in the time of prayer. The gathering of God's people is especially meaningful in this season of Advent. As we pause to wait, as we pause to think and reflect about what it is that we wait for, what it is that we hope for. I love this season. I love the opportunity with Joan to drive around and see the lights and the beautiful decorations in the neighborhoods. You can take time, and even in Upper Hastings Ranch, there are beautiful blocks of homes that have spent hours and days preparing just so you could stop by and, and see their artistry. Our own Mike Egghorn has a beautiful Christmas village that he puts together in his garage every year at Christmas time. It's worth your time to stop by some evening. But what I really like about this season is when we gather and we give thought to what this season means to us. To give thought to what it means to wait for the second advent of Jesus. You and I live between the first advent of the nativity in Bethlehem and the second advent that is to come. And so we wait. And to that end, in our Christmas schedule, we've created a week of vigil in Lee Chapel the week before Christmas. It's on the invitation card that we provided you in your worship folder. I hope you'll take time to come and spend time waiting, meditating, worshiping in Lee Chapel that week. You also have seen on that card the other events of this Christmas season that lie before us. Blue Christmas on the Wednesday night before Christmas. Christmas Eve service here in the sanctuary. Christmas Day service at 10 a.m. No Sunday school that day. Just gathering on Christmas morning. We've, we've tried to be sensitive to family schedules. Christmas Eve service is at 4.30 on Saturday early enough for you to have family time, and yet early enough to gather your family for preparation for Christmas. There are times in the seasons of the year in which people are particularly receptive to an invitation to worship. Advent is one of those times. I pray that you will take that card and you'll give it away You'll invite your neighbors, your friends, your family, and welcome them into the house of the Lord sometime during this season. For this is a season of Advent. It is the season of waiting. It is the season of hope, as we discussed last week. It is the season of longing for peace. And so this morning, I draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 that were read for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 11 brings a message of hope 
and peace that resonates with our collective desires to see and experience shalom in our lives. and in our communities, and in our world. And yet, such a prospect of shalom seems so very distant at times, and we wonder if the promise of peace written about in Isaiah will ever be realized. If you have spent time reading in the book of Isaiah, you have noticed that the prophecies of Isaiah have been a series of warnings and expressions of God's judgment upon Israel and Judah for their disobedience to God. For their collective failure to care for the least among them. And so it is that Israel is living under the threat of war and captivity. That is such a common theme in our history. Not just Israel's. But throughout the Old Testament, the prophets will often couple prophetic judgment with prophetic hope. One such example that we hear frequently quoted in Christian circles is from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. These words that we often quote are in the context of Jeremiah's message of judgment and repentance. If you go on and read the rest of Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 12, the Lord says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The prophecy of hope is given in the context of right living and the judgment of God that's corrective to bring people back to him. And such prophecies of hope in the face of judgment are one of the expressions of God's relentless loving pursuit of us. God is not giving up. God does not stop pursuing us in love, but pursues us relentlessly, seeking us to be in his presence. Of all of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah perhaps speaks more frequently about the promise of the Messiah than any other Old Testament prophet. I believe he does so to create both a present desire as well as a longing for a permanent future that will be unlike our present reality. But which in the kingdom of God harkens back to God's intentions for a place of his presence and peace that was intended in the Garden of Eden. Tim Chester writes, The point is clear. Under the reign of Jesus, hostilities will end. His kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, he says in Isaiah 11.9. Isaiah is looking back in order to look forward. He takes us back to the Garden of Eden. He describes the coming reign of Jesus as the restoration of paradise 
And here is Jesus, the new Adam, reigning over creation in peace and prosperity. Do you notice verse one in Isaiah 11? A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. This remarkably graphic verse describes the condition of David's house. It has so disappointed the heart of God that it has been cut off that Jesse's line is now a stump. All of the promise of David's line has been cut off. And yet Isaiah says, from this stump of Jesse, there will come a shoot, there will come life, there will come hope, there will be new growth. And that new growth is this promised Messiah, Messiah that Isaiah speaks of. I noted in verse 1 that Jesse is referred to, but David is not. This prophecy written by Isaiah in 740 years before Christ describes the condition of Israel. For the hope of Israel in David's dynasty has been destroyed and diminished so that nothing is left except the power of God to bring life out of nothing. Think about that. The power of God to bring life out of nothing. The power of God to bring life out of a stump. The blessing of God to cause growth where growth does not seem possible. The blessing of God to do what cannot be done except through the work of God's Spirit to generate life where there does not appear to be life. The line of David's descendants had so desecrated the covenant that they are metaphorically referred to as a stump. The experience of the stump is the result of choosing human wisdom over divine direction, choosing the way of the flesh over the ways of God, choosing to listen to the human voices over the voices of God's messengers. But after such a startling metaphor, Isaiah goes on to describe the shoot. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him and give him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Reading those words in that passage are remarkably consistent with Jesus' description of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16. And so the Spirit of God comes upon this shoot from the stump of Jesse so that the Messiah reigns in a way different than the human dynasties reigned. For they will be given the gifts to decide and to know and to discern. 
each of which are gifts for one who will rule and determine with righteousness. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. Isaiah prophesies that the reign of Jesus will be different than the reign of any ruler we have known on earth. Different than any king, different than any president, different than any premier that we have chosen, that we have elected, that we have hoped would change our world. And always, always, always fall short of the promises they have made. promise of peace lies in the reign of the Messiah. And the scripture tells us it will lead to lasting peace. The images of shalom that are present in this chapter, in this passage, are remarkable images the predator lying with its prey, the child lying close to the den of the snake, the behavior of the predator taking on the behavior of the prey, the peace, the shalom, which is promised in this passage is different than the peace that we would use and define in our English use of the word peace. Rabbi David Zaslow speaks of shalom this way. Contrary to popular opinion, the Hebrew word shalom does not mean peace, at least not in the English sense of the word. It comes from a Hebrew root word that means wholeness. And what is wholeness? In the Hebraic way of thinking, wholeness is the joining together of opposites, which is what we see here in Hebrews chapter 11, the presence of opposites lying together. Think of those images, those metaphors, perhaps even as nations, nations who seek to devour, and yet there'll be a time in which they live together without that threat. They live in peace, providing for one another. The peace of God that passes understanding is the shalom. And what is wholeness, he writes? In the Hebraic way of thinking, wholeness is the joining together of opposites. That's why we say shalom when we greet friends and when we wish them farewell. In the most opposite of situations, coming and going, we use the same word, shalom. Shalom requires the integration of two opposing positions for there to be real shalom. The word dialogue comes from the Greek dialogos, meaning across words or across reason, or speech that goes back and forth. It is easy to have a left-wing or a right-wing peace rally with people who already agree with us, but this is not the wholeness that is implied in the word shalom. 
In the Hebraic view, shalom brings the binary mind together, integrating the left brain modality of thinking, the linear, and the right brain modality, intuitive. When I say to someone, I say, when I say hello to someone, I say shalom. When I say goodbye to someone, I say shalom. What is more opposite than coming and going? Hello and goodbye. Shalom is the most radical union of opposites imaginable. Shalom brings together people who disagree with each other so that each will listen deeply to the other side. It is the people you do not agree with who have the greatest gift for you, the gift of the potential for wholeness. When I think of Isaiah's promise of peace, in the context of which you and I live, in the American culture, I can think of nothing more worth waiting for and holding vigil for than for shalom. Perhaps it helps us when we think of peace that passes understanding the peace possible through Jesus Christ that helps us bridge the divide of disagreement, that helps us bridge the, with the presence of Christ. It says, Christ being present is more important to me than my position. Christ being present with you and with me is more important that we love one another in Jesus Christ than we define each other by what we believe or what we think. Shalom, the peace that passes human understanding and people with, without God will not understand it because it is the work of God birthing something new where life did not seem possible. Isaiah paints a picture of a future peace when the Messiah comes again in the second advent. But I've been wondering this week, how shall we live until then? If the portrait Isaiah paints for us in chapter 11 is for a future time, how shall I live until then? Paul paints for us in Colossians chapter 3 a biblical vision of present peace. Colossians 3 verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why does such peace matter in our world today? It matters because it creates the possibility of being an example of shalom in the present age longing for the completeness of shalom in the age to come. Yeah. 
God's imagination of peace for us. Because you and I have the gift of living between the two advents, this passage in Isaiah is more than prophecy, it is promise. It is a promise of God to transform each of us. Jesus has come, Jesus has and is living among us to allow the transforming work in us to bring the peace of God to us. For peace in us is the path to pass, is the path to peace around us. You and I, those who choose to follow Christ, choose to seek shalom in a way that says to the world, we are different. We will live differently. We will act differently. We will hope differently. We will pursue peace differently. God's imagination of peace is disruptive to our understanding of the present circumstances. Think of that idea on a personal level. The call to follow Christ, to take up his cross and follow him, is, re- is disrupted to our finely developed priorities that seek to preserve and promote our self-interests. The call is disruptive to the patterns of behavior that seek our own self-satisfaction. Every position I hold is rooted in the personal pronoun, I. Every position I hold in Jesus is rooted in him. See the difference? Donald Miller observed, the most difficult lie I have ever contended with is this. Life is a story about me. Life is a story about me. Shalom becomes possible when life becomes a story about him. And that becomes the center point of the life I choose to live. The story of God in Christ is to transform those who choose to follow Christ into people who look, think, and live more like Christ than our fallen human nature. In other words, to live a life that is counter to the lie that life is a story about me. Isaiah gives us a promise of peace in the future. Paul calls us to live lives of peace in the present. This is good news for us. In this Advent season, give the gift of peace. For doing so is the path to sharing in the promise of peace to come. As Paul said to us, let Christ rule in your heart. In this Advent season, make peace with someone. Make peace with someone. Is there someone in your life with whom you are not at peace? The path to shalom.
is in making peace with the opposite. Making peace with someone in this season will change their life and yours. This morning, we're going to receive the sacrament of communion. And I'll ask those who are going to serve with me to take their places. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Remember, remember what I'm about to do. Again on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sin. Remember. And in a very real way, the body and blood of Jesus Christ is the path to peace. It is the path to shalom. It is the gift of peace to us. God in heaven, we pray you bless now the bread and the cup. Oh God, may you use these moments of this sacrament to create a path to peace for us. May the worthiness of Jesus Christ lay upon our lives as a mark of people who would seek shalom. We ask now your blessing upon these moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me give you just a moment of instruction. We're going to ask those in the two side sections to move to the outside aisles and come down to be served by someone on your side and then return to your seats by the interior aisles. Those of you in the two center sections Please come to be served through the center aisle. There is a serving station at the back of the sanctuary and two here at the front of the sanctuary. Make your way to one of those and then return to your seats by the interior aisles. We will ask you today that when you receive the bread to hold your hands out like this and we will lay the bread into your hands. and then we will hand you a cup. But when you receive the bread, take it and eat it then. When you receive the cup, take it and drink it then. For there will not be further instruction after you leave one of the serving stations. Return to your seats, wait prayerfully for others to be served, and then we'll be dismissed with a benediction. You may come as there is space to come. You don't need to all get up right now and come. But you're welcome to come. So please come to be served.
like to be served in your seat, simply raise your hand and someone will come to you. Just keep your hands raised, someone will come to you. Melissa, can you in the back, please? Thank you. servers coming to the back. Is there anyone else on this side that would like to be served? Has everyone been served? Let us stand together. Receive this benediction. May you be people of peace. May peace live in your heart. And may you share the peace of Christ with all whom you meet. May you share peace by acting out of compassion and not out of fear. May you share peace by listening to all sides of the story. May you share peace by praying for our world. And this Advent season, we need to see, feel, and share shalom. As you go out into the wonder of God's creations, Share peace and hope with those you meet. And everyone said, amen. Go in peace.